Plumley Pod, episode 31. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education, the Plumley Pod. And welcome back to the Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and today's guest is Darren of Plymouth. He is back. Welcome back to the podcast, Darren. I've been dying to talk to you about so many things since last time. You have some very special news, and I'm going to invite you in to tell everybody about your amazing special news. Uh, good to be here, Sarah. Nice to see you again. Oh, my special news. Well, I have been working for TNT Radio for free for the best part of six to seven months. I'm now employed by them. So I've got got quite a large platform, well, a larger platform in which I get to speak and talk about the things that we're not supposed to talk about, Sarah. And now they've offered me my own one-hour show. So for anyone who's listening to this right now, make sure you tune in to tntradio.live. I've said that so many times now. Make sure you turn into tntradio.live at 11 a.m. for one hour. We'll be talking, I'll be talking news stories for a variety of guests, mostly focused on the UK, UK politics, COVID, the usual LGBTQ stuff and toxic masculinity. We'll be talking about all those things. So please, yeah, tune in, support TNT Radio, support my show. And uh, hopefully they don't change their mind before the end of the weekend and uh, they do something different. But nah, I'll be on at 11 a.m. So check me out on TNT Radio. <laughs> so I have a radio voice. I love it. I love it, Darren. <laughs> I love it. Congratulations, though. It's a really great yeah. achievement. I'm really pleased for you and very, very best wishes for the kickoff of the show. And we'll be listening. My husband and I will be, will be tuning into that for sure. So that, guys, is 11 till 12 UK time, 11 a.m. till 12. That's weekdays. And that's with Darren Denslow. And we think it's going to be called Digging Deeper with Darren Denslow. So look out for that 11 till 12. And that's tntradio.live. Well, oh, it's so good to have good news to start with, <laughs> because then after that, things take a slide yeah. <laughs> as we talk about what's going on in the world, right? <laughs> All my luck right now, I've had, I won't say bad luck, but the pandemic has taken a lot from me, you know, physically, you know, my, my finances, relationships and stuff like that. But also, you know, I give a lot of myself to speak out, putting my head above the parapet. And now I feel like I, I'm being rewarded via TNT and I'm getting quite a lot of good luck. So it's good. And I'm in a good mood. And you said it's all going to go downhill from now on. Let's not take it too far downhill. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> well, I'm really, really excited to hear that because I know how much this has cost you on a personal level. We've talked off air and, you know, I've had some struggles too. Mm. And it's that old saying, isn't it? That when you start to work for the universe, the universe starts to work for you and every ounce of your luck is totally deserved. And I'm Mm -hmm. really proud of you. And I cannot wait to see how amazing this is going to be. I think it's a wonderful opportunity and you deserve it. You really do. So well done. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the rules of, one of the laws of the universe is conservation. Yeah, so like energy can never be lost. It can only change from one form to another. 
And so, you know, you can never be created or destroyed. And I think that that applies to sort of every aspect of the universe. So I am just getting back, same as you, same as anybody else who's been in a similar position to us, where we've spoken out and we've tried to break away from the system and it's cost us a lot. We're now getting that return to us in the form of balance. Yeah, there has to be, you know, for example, I've absorbed a lot of negativity. And now in order to balance me out, I need to, that that positivity is being returned. Yeah, we're being returned from the universe, as you say. And I think that's actually probably, although we haven't quantified it in terms of science right now, probably a very real thing. Yeah, karma, I think, is a good word for it. And I hope that both of us right now are getting a lot of good karma coming our way. And those that have forced the crap on us for the last two and a half years, they're getting their own karma coming their way, yeah? And it won't be positive. So, um, you know, well done, universe. (laughs) I sincerely hope so. I know that's slightly awful, but I sincerely hope they get their just desserts. I really, really mean that. I wish I'd known beforehand because there were some really dark times, particularly in the early days of the pandemic, because... I was raging. I was raging. I could see it straight away because like you, you've got your graphs and charts because you're a scientist. I've got my numbers and my statistics because I'm a mathematician. And it was just complete, absolute nonsense. I was so angry and frustrated. And I took a lot of crap, even though I was presenting real data in an easy to understand fashion. And it was very, very difficult. It was uh, emotional. It was challenging. You're right. It took a lot from us emotionally, socially, physically, everything. But And I wish I'd been able to hold on to the idea that this will come good because I had no idea that it would at the time. It's not that I didn't believe in karma or didn't know about it, but I just hadn't quantified it in this kind of fashion. I hadn't figured that out yet, but I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help it anyway. I felt like I had to do it. I couldn't stop. I'd already started. And well, once I start, I don't stop a bit like you, Darren, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you, Sarah, I was absolutely compelled to speak out and to take part in the activities that I did to try and wake people up, a term that I really, really hate. But, you know, people who are listening will understand what I mean. And, you know, if you give, you have to, you have to take back what you've given, yeah, you know, to create that balance. And, um, yeah, I'm the same as you. I don't like talking about people or wishing people harm, but there are some people who have got a lot of crap coming their way. I hope they enjoy it, yeah, because they all deserve it. They all deserve it. So, yeah, keep an eye on the news, people, because the truth is slowly coming out bit by bit, their narrative is crumbling in in every facet, whether it's COVID or the Ukraine war or climate change, or or now it's migration. Migration is being pushed absolutely everywhere in the mainstream media all of a sudden. And I think that is just another method to cause division in our society, because as James Melville, who you may be aware of, He's a social media commentator, political commentator. He made a really, really good point and that there is a unifying factor now for everybody. And that is the cost of living crisis because that affects us all. And it doesn't affect those at the top who are implementing these economic policies. And so now everybody can actually, in a unified way, start punching up, which is why they're now pushing migration and immigration, because they need something to divide us. COVID's not working, vaccines aren't working, etc. And so now it's immigration. Don't buy it, stick together and punch up at the people who are, you know, tyrannizing us. I love it. 
one tiny, weeny, minuscule, almost insignificant correction. It's not the cost of living crisis. It's the cost of Sorry. lockdown. It's the cost it of lockdown, is. isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's the it's and a cost of lockdown them. crisis. We told them so before. We said this furlough thing's going to blow up. You can't do that if you close down an economy. This will happen. They didn't listen. And now they want to bleat, as they do. Bleat's probably quite appropriate. They want to bleat about the cost of living crisis. No, it's the cost of lockdown crisis. And in particular, uh-huh. your failure to stand up against lockdown. You were happy to take the money then. You're not so happy now you've got to pay it back. That is simple economics, simple mathematics. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit impatient with the bleaters now because they called us all sorts, they threw rocks at us, they did terrible things. And and also, we need to punish the unvaccinated, all of this kind of dangerous, dangerous talk. And now you want to cry because your beer's expensive, your heating's expensive, Mm -hmm. and you want to blame. I, I agree we have to stick together. I agree that we should punch upwards, but I will not forgive... I certainly won't forget, and I'm unwilling to forgive, especially at this point in time. What do you think, Darren? And that's what they're asking for, isn't it? I mean, there was an article by The mm. Atlantic that was recently published saying, hey, uh, yeah, sorry, can we have some amnesty, please? We, we didn't know. We didn't know that if we printed trillions of dollars and pounds that there would be an economic crisis. Well, we didn't know. Well, we fought the science for the mRNA genetic experimental vaccine, gene therapies, gene therapies, We didn't know that they were going to cause harm or they weren't going to prevent transmission. They lied for two and a half years and now they expect us to walk away and forget about it and concentrate on the cost of living crisis, as they have termed it, and forget that actually the reason that we're all struggling to pay our gas and electricity bills or you know, a pint of milk has gone up 30 40% in the last 12 months, they want us to forget the reasons behind it and hopefully we'll just blame Putin. Yeah, just blame Putin. It's fine. But forget about what we did. Can we have some amnesty? There can be no amnesty. There can be no forgiveness. I won't forget what they did. And to be honest, my mission for the rest of my life now is to ensure that these people see justice and they get that bad karma coming back to them because that's what they deserve. Nothing I'm else. Nothing right less. there with you. I am right there with you in that mission. I, I mean business. I've turned my attentions to the future and making sure mm-hmm. that stuff like this can never happen again. Mm-hmm. That people can never be taken advantage of in this way again. That's why I'm going after the little ones and educating them properly. Uh-huh. Totally with you. I'm so glad you raised that Atlantic article. Nothing has made my wee-wee boil more. And that's saying something this last two and a half years. And I actually think it's interesting that you raised that after what we talked about earlier before we went on air. This relates in my mind back to the concept, the fake concept of toxic masculinity, does it not? Because this whole, oh, we didn't mean it, please forgive us. That's a girly girl thing. That is not a man. (laughs) That is not a man willing to face justice for what he has done. That is the absolute encapsulation of the feminization of all of society, is it not? The feminization of our boys, the men who are basically more like women than ever before. And I'm not talking trans here. I'm not talking LGBTQ nonsense. For me, that's a smokescreen. It's almost a red herring. What this is really about is the complete loss of real men. Men are Uh our leaders. They're our protectors. They're our providers. We need men. We desperately need real men in our society. And, And nothing has highlighted that more to me in many ways than that article about, oh, let's all forget it. It was an accident. We didn't mean it. Please can we be friends now? What do you think? We weren't responsible. It wasn't our fault. 
That's what they've done, isn't it? You know, they go, no, 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 no. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't mean any of that. All the things that we said when we was, you know, you should be all locked up if you're unvaccinated. Pandemic of the unvaccinated. The discrimination, the hate language, the actual real hate speech that was pushed on people. And, you know, all of us have been in some really, really dark times through the last two and a half years, especially those that spoke out and refused to subject themselves to an experimental vaccine. You know, I went... At the end of last year, so 12 months ago, I was in real fear. I thought, look look what they're doing in Austria. They're going to lock up all the unvaccinated. I honestly thought I was going to a gulag at some point in the near future, 12 months ago. And then now they want them to forget that because I was right and telling the truth, they want me to forget that any of it ever happened. And so... Yeah, it's a, a show of complete lack of responsibility. The person who actually wrote that article was a woman. But with regards <laughs> to the toxic masculinity, yeah, um, none of this would have happened if we had real men, young men, fighting men, not ones that have come in boats on dinghies in our society. And men have been under attack from the establishment, from our mainstream media. They've been under attack from cultural perspectives and the actual very idea of what a man is has been under attack for a good oh, 10 years and longer go if you go back further it was a bit more subtle and we see it in our schools i mean i saw it in the further education quite strongly i mean i used to get called sexist for opening a door for female students and female members of staff yeah because somehow i was expressing my toxic masculinity by saying, oh, a woman's not strong enough or powerful enough or able enough to open a door for herself. Yeah. And actually, my actually is, no, 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 no. I'm a man. Man or men open up doors for women. That's like, it's not a hierarchy thing as such, but it is at the same, in the same breath. Well, let me help you out here. Would you open a door for a man if he was struggling with some boxes and he needed the door opening, Darren? Would you do that? Yeah, yeah, of course. So of course. what's the problem? Like, what is the problem? There is no problem. There never was a problem. You don't be a jerk. If somebody needs a door opening for them, open the damn door. If there's an elderly lady, I might go and open the door. My husband still does it if, some, if somebody needs a door open. He's not... This is stupid. I had this very question posed to me. I was on a flight. This is bizarre. It's just come back to me. I was on the way to the Dallas Cup, the Dr. Pepper Dallas Cup in America in 2009. I was the first female referee. This is football. So if you're not from the UK, you might call it soccer, but we call it football because we invented it and that's what it is. And anyway, this it was a very prestigious appointment. I'd actually taken a man's place, believe it or not. I'd been selected on merit regardless of gender. And I was off to referee this big tournament. You get big clubs, you get Man United, Real Madrid, you get all the big clubs sending their under-17s, their under-16s, their under-19s. Real big deal. And I had a fantastic tournament. But on the way there, on this flight, we had this ex-army guy who was coming to train us as one of the coaches for the referees, because referees need coaching too. And he was very awkward. And he said to me, well, uh, this is a bit awkward. He's like, what do I do? I mean, am I, am I supposed to hold the door? Do I not hold the door? And I'm like, I don't care. Like, do whatever you do. It's a matter for you. It's not a matter for me whether you open the door for me or not. That's entirely up to you. I couldn't care less. Am I going to be offended because you open the door? Why would I be? And he was completely like taken aback. It took me a few days, but he came to watch me referee. And after that, he was, you know, 
buying me drinks and I was one of the boys and everything was fine. You could see that I was just a normal person who happened to love football. I'd played football for 20 years before I became a referee. I'd refereed at that point for about four years of my seven-year career. And I was a damn good one. I got to the finals. I refereed a quarterfinal there, which is a big deal. The under-16s sent a lad off. I got to the finals. I was a fourth official for the under-16s. It was a massive, massive deal. And this guy, you know, I won his respect just by being a decent human being. It's not about, gen- they've lied about this whole, he was genuine, he wasn't trying to be funny. He felt awkward because they'd never had a bird on this tour before and they were really concerned about it. Well, after I drank a few of them under the table on the first or second night, there was no problems. So, <laughs> I, you know, sometimes you have to do things that are perhaps not particularly feminine, which I'm not sure I'm proud of anymore. But at least it showed that, hey, there is a, you know, this is not a war zone, this is a football match. And there is no reason why I can't officiate a football match to the same standard or better than many of the lads. In fact, there was only two referees from my group that got to the final, myself and one other guy. And then out of the elite group, two out of the three got to the finals. They were all guys. But they, bless them, they were, some of them are on the Premier League now as officials. And at the time, they were sort of working their way up through, what do you call it? It wasn't champ, well, one of them was championship, but the others were a little bit below that sort of League One, League Two kind of standard football yeah, league, league two, referees. Yeah. But they came to watch and offer advice to us younger ones who are lower down the pathway or further down, you know, the less experienced referees. And one of them said to me, well, you wouldn't look out of place on the football league line, the, what I've seen from you this morning. They, they just weren't bothered because they're real men. It's not a threat. Mm-hmm. It's not danger. No one's life yeah, is at stake. Yeah. It's a game of football. And they're intelligent enough to go, well, yeah, she can run. She runs like a man. She waves a flag like a man. No problem. There are no problems here. But this is very different, is it not, to a war zone? Isn't there a problem here? I mean, I'm not supposed to say things like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. For me, women oh, I'm sure I'm going not... to say lots of things that I shouldn't. <laughs> Don't worry. I've got. Don't... They're all lining up. They're lining up in my head right now. I was going. Shall I talk about Edwin Bernays? Yeah. Will I come across as a right sexist? <laughs> well, let me. Let... It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> let me pave the way for you because I want you to go for it. I want you to tell the whole truth, as I know you always do, Darren, and I admire you immensely for it. But I'm going to open the door here as a female, a member of the opposite sex, and say, do you know what? It's not okay. It's not okay having women on the front line. And hear me out. This is somebody I I applied to serve in the Royal Navy. I wanted to fly junglies. That's the seeking helicopters. I wanted to drop the Marines off behind enemy lines because it was the only role at the time that was available to women that was anywhere near a frontline role. And I believed wrongly, I was wrong. I believed at the time that a man's life was not more valuable. Sorry, a woman's life was not more valuable than a man's. What I didn't realize was I was quoting G.I. Jane. That propaganda really, really works. But for uh-huh. me, I've learned that actually, do you know what? Women are a danger, not because of their lack of ability necessarily on the front line, but because of what it does to the men around them. So there, I've said it, and I want to give you free reign to talk to us about your background and experience of this, because I think it's high time that us ladies actually listen to our men folk. And it's not the men that are attacking masculinity. It's actually women. Women have been weaponized to attack masculinity and we need to sort our heads out, Mm -hmm. get our acts together and start protecting our men's Mm -hmm. right to be men. What do you think, Das? Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, with regards to the military, yeah, I'm uh, somebody who used to work in the the Royal Naval Dockyard, Devonport Royal Dockyard in Plymouth. I worked there for about 13, 14 years. I worked in procurement, so I'm not actually, uh, I wasn't military myself, but I was a military contractor who worked very closely with, uh, I I worked on procurement for 
surface ships, and I specialized particularly on the nuclear platforms. So that's the Hunter Killer, T-class, Trafalgar-class submarines, and Vanguard-class submarines, which are amazing. I was just, I was just telling Sarah about how amazing it is to see one of them out of dry uh, in dry dock, out of the water. It's like an iceberg. You can't believe how big these machines are. But yeah, so the so my dad would say to me, the worst thing that ever happened to the Navy was to allow women to go out to sea, whether it's combat missions or training and exercise, to go out on a tin can with, I don't know, the women are outnumbered five to one, six to one by men. And all it ever did was cause problems in the running of the ship. Because first of all, there is a sex issue. You've got a load of men who are not getting laid while they're at sea. And then you've got all these... Wrens, some who will be sort of tomboyish and maybe quite uh, relaxed about sex. And also, they're not getting it either. So what happens? Everybody starts sleeping with the wrens. You can imagine the trouble that will cause between the sailors amongst themselves, the men fighting over this limited female resource, but also just the issues of just the general operation of the ship. Now, and you brought up another really good point before we come on air about combat. Men are naturally inclined to protect women. Back in the day, when we were running around with spears and wearing, you know, bear skins or whatever to keep ourselves warm, men would go out and hunt and put their lives at risk, willingly. They used to do this, you know, this is my job in life, is to go out and hunt a mammoth and protect the women and children that I've got at home in stone huts from the local, the, the next caveman tribe a couple of miles away who might want to come and steal my women and children or might want to take our resources. It was my job as a man back then to protect them, yeah? Because it's the continuation of the species. And these roles, yeah, of women being at home, bringing up the children, yeah, dare I say it, in the kitchen cooking meals, yeah, while the man is out providing and protecting and working. These roles have been set in stone since the Stone Age. They are biological imperatives, aren't they? They're, they're biolog- I have a need to open a door for a woman. I have the need to feel that I should be protecting women. Hey, I've spoken out for the last two and a half years because I had a girlfriend at home who I felt compelled to try and protect. And I failed, yeah? I failed. I'm no longer in that relationship. She's double jab, the rest, thinks I'm crazy. But I was compelled to do that in part, I've got a daughter, yeah? I am felt compelled as a man that I should be doing whatever I'm doing in terms of speaking out, providing, whatever it might be, protecting, because I am a man and my daughter is not just my daughter, but a female. I might not feel the same about a male child. If I had a son, I might be more inclined to think, hey, son, you can protect yourself because you are a man and you should be protecting your mother or your your female friends as a priority over to your male friends. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a biological imperative. And we're trying to have that drummed out of us through culturally, socially, through our media, through our workplaces. You know, men should be in touch with their feminine side. And you mentioned football earlier uh, and you as a referee. Great. 
am I going to say, do I approve of female referees and commentators? I hate female commentators in darts. Yeah. I watch darts and they are female commentators. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> don't. <laughs> See, that's the difference though, isn't it? That is the difference. It's about competency. Yes. I was a highly competent referee because I had played the game to an excellent standard for 20 years. I signed for Man City in the day. So I was a very talented footballer. There was talk of yeah, me going yeah. to the NLS to play in the Women's Amazing. Professional League. That didn't come off because I wanted to go to law school. But you know, I had other things. I, I was also a county cricketer. So Oh, was you? Yeah, I used to play for Cheshire when Cheshire was a... Oh. In the women's, Cheshire's a major county. It's not a minor county. Oh, was and I played for Hampshire as well. Oh, did I you? I represent Hampshire a couple of times as well. Amazing. Yeah, when, when I moved south to teach, I ended up just a few games. I did. I got scouted off a, a local parks game, like a local club game. I was just playing for fun, a bit of recreation while I was trying not to lose my mind as a teacher in the classroom. So on a Sunday, I'd play cricket and I'd train a couple of times a week. And I scored some runs and they said, oh, look, we're short. Hampshire are really short of uh, someone who can make quick runs. Will you please come and, and do this tournament, this 2020 tournament with us? You know, you'll get your county cap. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. And I, you know, got a couple of games or whatever. But I, I spent most of my time playing for Cheshire First Eleven for about six, seven years, something like that. I played from about 17 years old through to uh, my sort of mid-twenties. Uh, and I, you know, I loved all of that stuff, but it's about competency. It's about what, what are your skills? Women and anyone else, it's not just women as well, ethnic minorities, all the others, garbage, yeah, disabilities. Yeah, yeah. You should not yeah. be given a job because of your disability or the color of your skin or your gender. You get a uh, job because you are competent. We have high, this is Jordan Peterson, isn't it? We have yeah. hierarchies of competency uh, until the left started screwing it all up with all of this, oh, we've got to be kind. We've got to give all of these you know, roles to, to you know, whoever. No, you've got to be good enough. And that's the difference. When you're good enough, you get accepted regardless of your gender, the color of your skin, whatever. When you're not good enough, you are rightly called out for it. And I uh -huh. fully support that. If you're not good enough to be commentating on darts, why are you doing it? Especially why are you doing it in the men's game? Get out. Get out. Yeah. Like I said, I know I'm going to say things like that. I just go, oh, it's a woman's voice talking about darts. You know? oh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but um, but my, I've sort of lost my point. But going back to football, yeah? So David Beckham, we're talking about toxic masculinity, which is actually just masculinity. They've just stuck toxic on there. It doesn't actually mean anything. What does toxic masculinity actually mean? Are you able to define that for me using those two words? Because masculinity just means being a man, doesn't it? It just means the male characteristics and traits of a man. Yeah, a human male, a human adult male, or a young lad will be masculine, yeah? Um, toxic masculinity. I, I don't know what that is. What does that mean? Too male? So male, it's bad for the environment and, and those people around them. So male or so masculine that it's bad for that individual. It doesn't really make sense. And the other thing is, from the point of view of a woman, what should women really want? They should want somebody who is toxically masculine. You would think, yeah, because that toxic masculine, if I'm mascul masculinity, if I'm or a toxic male, if I'm using their phrases and terms, would be somebody who's really going to protect you, who's really going to provide for you, who might walk on the right side of the pavement down the road. And I'm a believer in walking on the right side of the pavement down the road because I believe culturally that's what a man should do, you know. Girls go, why Why do you want to walk on that side of the road? Well, it's because just if a car comes past and it sprays up stuff or 
there's something happens on the road, are we the first one in the way, not the woman? Yeah, I think that's the sort of reasoning behind walking on the right side of the road. And yet the average man and young man and woman today have no concept of some of these like rules in male and female engagement. And I think we're suffering severely as it's, a culture for it. It's also to do with uh, your sword hand in these days of, of swordsmanship when swords were our weapons of defence and or attack, a gentleman would obviously carry his sword on his left side because he would draw it with his right hand because you weren't allowed to be a left-handed swordsman because you'd be, yeah, yeah. you were in league with the devil. They didn't believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. If you were left-handed, they would make you fight with your, they would teach you to fight with your right hand. So it's to do with being able to draw your sword without taking the lady's eye out. You know, it's uh-huh. very important. I would, I would think that's quite an important thing. And it, it's a, an important piece of our heritage, our culture, our history. You know, this is something that is real, not this fraudulent stuff that's being imposed upon us from above. Now, it's very interesting, you were, with this toxic masculinity, it's one of my, it's my pet hate. It's my pet hate because it's the women who are actually causing this problem in the main. The men are not blameless, but the women are causing the problem. It's us ladies that have to stand up and make room for the men to be men, for boys to grow up into men. But I'll come back to the youngsters in a little while. What I wanted to touch on here is we've talked about competency. You know, my argument is in certain circumstances, like refereeing a football match, if the person who is most competent to referee that match happens to be female, so be it. But they shouldn't be selected because they are female. But I'm only focusing on competency there. And that's perhaps okay in some non-life and death situations like sport, right? However, however, the propaganda machine that is Hollyweird, deliberate misquotes, Hollyweird pumps out these propaganda movies such as G.I. Jane. Now, I'm focusing on G.I. Jane because this movie is where Demi Moore wants to be a Navy SEAL, the most elite level. It's equivalent to our SBS. Other people will think of it as the SAS, but SBS are the ones with the boats. SAS are the ones Uh with the parachutes. But anyway, they are the top level of fighting force. The fitness is unbelievable. And it's very difficult for any women, let alone even a handful of women, to attain those fitness levels. And rightly so. It's a very demanding physical job. However, the whole movie focuses on G.I. Jane's physical ability. Can she physically do the job? And the the movie says she can. Okay, right, that's fine. But that's not the only consideration here. It's not about is the woman... The woman being competent has to be a given, but there are other considerations, aren't there? Because in a war zone, so Navy SEALs operate an awful lot on land. They might travel by ship, but they are dropped off behind enemy lines doing very, very dangerous stuff. Now, we know that when a woman is fatally wounded a man will still pause on the battlefield to try to save that woman, even though she is all but dead, if not dead. And what happens is somebody else is then not defended and they get shot and they might be injured Mm -hmm. or killed. Mm -hmm. It is dangerous. It is nothing Mm -hmm. to do. The movies make it all about physical competency. Oh, look, she's just as good. She can run just Mm -hmm. as fast. She can do just as many push-ups, blah, 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 blah. It's not the only consideration. You are only looking at half of the picture. You even get this horrible moment of the feminization. You just talked about David Beckham there, this slightly effeminate guy. Mm -hmm. You get this moment in the movie where the Navy SEAL officer and the other Navy SEALs who are training the recruits, who are putting them through literal hell in order to test them, they say, she's not the problem. We are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What a terrible, terrible message. 
What do, what do you mean you're the problem? Yeah. You're the people who yeah. are trying to save yeah. us. What are you talking yeah. about? What an awful moment that. I never realized until this morning what a dreadful moment in the movie that is. Really, truly, when you think about what those words actually mean. There's a man declaring that he's a problem. Being a man, his being a man is a problem. And that is a message that we get constantly and often quite subtly from all forms of media, but also from our institutions like the military. And we see it in the American, you know, we have these generals coming up who are all super woke and they're talking about white supremacy and toxic masculinity and, oh, how we've got to be inclusive. And uh, you're supposed to be a killing force. Your job is to go out and murder people. That's what you're paid to do. Not a nice job. I don't know why we have that job uh, as a list of possible jobs that we can do. You know, what do you want to do for a living? Want to go out and murder people. But if you want people to go out and murder people, you just want it all men. You don't want to introduce uh, an unstable element like women... (laughs) into a fighting force because men naturally are compelled to treat women differently. And actually, women are naturally compelled to treat men differently as well. But we have these these roles of protector and protected. And, you know, we've lost that. And, And as a result of that, all different aspects of our society have started to crumble down, like the family unit. We no longer have that cohesive 2.4 children sit around a dinner table every Sunday for our lunch. We never have that, you know? And the man that went out to the work while the woman brought out the child at home and, 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 and cooked food, yeah? I know that sounds incredibly sexist, but it only sounds sexist because of the narratives that we have been force-fed for the last 20, 30 years. I mentioned David Beckham, and there was a reason why I mentioned him when I didn't, I didn't furnish my, my reasoning. Football's a really good example of how men have changed over the last 30, 40 years. If you went back to the 70s and 80s and watched footballers, they were kicking 10 tons of crap out of each other, were running around with broken legs. You know, it, it wasn't until Ke- Kevin Keegan come along that they even wore the aftershave. And then you chat, fast forward to David Beckham, and there's a picture of this uh, man, what do they call it? I, I kind of what they called it, used to call him. But, you know, picture of him with his white briefs on, with his latest aftershave, this, you know, his fourth haircut that month. He's with one of the Spice Girls. Wearing a sari, one of those skirt things. Wearing a dress. And a hairband. And the hairband. I mean, when he wore the hairband, I was like, can I swear? Of course, free speech, of course, of course. What the fuck are you doing, David? <laughs> you know what I mean? You look like a girl. Stop being a girl. You're supposed to be a footballer. But now you fast forward 20 years on from David Beckham and you look at you look at our footballers all bending a knee with rainbow armbands on and you think, what the hell are you doing? You might get the occasional one person, even our rugby team. We had one man who refused to bend the knee for Black Lives Matter. He was also black, which was good, a guy at Curtis Law. He refused to do it. There were a few other footballers, usually black footballers, who refused to do it. And it's like... You know, all these people who are bending their knee in football, it's like, you're not men anymore. You know, you know this is wrong, but you're doing it anyway because somebody told you to. That ended it for me. That ended, that literally ended my 30, I'm going to give my age away now, 30 plus year love affair with football. I'd watched football all my life. My dad was a very good footballer. He didn't get a boy. He got me first. So that's where things went a bit wrong for me. He realized, oh, I can just train her. She'll be able to play. So that was kind of unfortunate for me looking back. Same with cricket. But I've always loved it. I've always watched it. I used to sort of have a season ticket at Old Trafford. 
I've watched so many games of football. It's unbelievable. Thousands and thousands. I love it. Yeah. I, my grandma's from Newton Heath. So all right. literally yeah, from yeah, Newton yeah. Heath. So we're, we're all crazy Reds where we were. But the moment, the moment they bent the knee, this Black Lives, that was it. I cancelled my membership. I have never watched another game of football since they started doing that because it is bang out of order. Do not, what are you kneeling for? It's absolutely disgraceful. And one more disclaimer. When I used to play, they used to call me Vinny after Vinny oh. Jones. Oh, did they? That's good. Yeah. He was all right. He, he was one of the last hard bastards in football, wasn't it? I mean, he, he was the last of the proper the men that were in football. And and the thing is with the whole kneeling is they stopped this summer, the English team. They stopped kneeling this summer. Why? They had to just stop a little bit early, early enough for maybe for the goldfish memory of the general public to forget about them bending and getting booed at every single game because the football fans, a lot of them are still men who go to watch the football and they don't want to see these pathetic little men kneeling with rainbow armbands. But they stopped kneeling because the Qatar World Cup's coming up and they know that you know kneeling for Black Lives Matter is not going to be too good when you're kneeling in a stadium in the middle of Qatar where one in every hundred people there is a slave. In fact, it's probably near two in every hundred people. One in every 50 are, are slaves in Qatar uh, and the maximum death penalty in Qatar for homosexuality is death. <laughs> the maximum penalty. <laughs> My goodness. So, yeah, so, what so a coincidence. They coincidentally so, uh, stopped doing it, right? Stop. And now they're saying in 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 the in the mainstream media to 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 gay people, uh, when you go to Qatar, if you're gay and you're watching the football, don't be gay. Don't right. So you're allowed to be gay. We celebrate your gayness. We've got a rainbow. We have people. You know, we celebrate your blackness. We have people kneeling for you, and we have a Pride Month. But that month that you're in Qatar, pretend that you're not gay. Okay, and they've literally given that advice to people. So, I mean, it just goes to show that these narratives are are uh, political. That they're, they're, they're fundamentally untrue, uh, and they actually weaken men. And, and they're crumbling. The best bit. So it's not too dark, as we said earlier. It's crumbling. It's crumbling everywhere. If you look at the statistics for, I'm not, I haven't got them off the top of my head. But if you look at the recruitment for the U.S. Army, it's dire. They can't recruit. And if you listen to Dr. E. Michael Jones, who is amazing, by the way, that's Dr. E. Michael Jones. He tells you. He says the young men are not signing up because they don't want to go and die for the gay disco. They don't yep. want to do that. They want to be men. They want to be amongst uh -huh. men and they want to fight for their country, for their people. Uh -huh. So they're just staying at home and playing their video games. They're thinking, screw uh -huh. your recruitment. I'm not signing up uh -huh. for that. They don't want to go and die for something that they don't believe in. They don't yep. want the rainbow flag. And they, I love that line. That's Dr. E. Michael Jones, not me. The men don't want, the boys don't want to sign up for the army because they don't want to die, go and die for the gay disco. Spot on, sir. Spot on. And that is true. And, you know, but there would have been a time when all men wanted to go and join the forces and fight for their country. I'm sure during the Second World War, when, when you know, it was announced we was at war of Germany and Germany had invaded Poland and France, etc. You know, and they said, we need soldiers to recruit. I bet they had them queued around the block 10 times over to, to sign up, willing, willingly going I'm quite happy. Okay, they were under propaganda, obviously, and they were propagandized, but they are pretty sure they had no um, illusions that they were potentially going to uh, go into their deaths. And they would have done that willingly so because they were brought up to be men and they understood that there were things that were worth fighting for. Now, 
We don't really have the things that are worth fighting for. The wars are all fake, etc. And a lot of the men are like that. Nah, I don't want to go and fight and protect the women and children at home because they've had their masculinity bred out of them or they're afraid to be masculine because they don't want to be called toxic. And a real good example of this, and I'm just coming into my head, is dating. Yeah. So there was a there was a there was a report, and I'm sorry I'm jumping around here, uh, uh, sir. Uh, there was a report that I, I, I seen. It was in a news card article that men are afraid to ask women out. Just ask them out because they think that the women are going to think that they're creepy. Yeah. Because of this toxic masculinity narrative, this feminization of men. You know, so that's another example. I mean, these, you know, asking a woman out is sort of fundamental to the to the procreation of human life, you know. <laughs> and uh, and you know, it I I, I find I find that really worse. Like, how, how is he supposed to meet a woman, you know? Men are afraid. Men are afraid of women. And they shouldn't ever be that. And it, it, just in case anyone thinks that it's just we two bigots again, you and I, we always get called bigots, don't we, Darren, because we tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. In, in, case, like in, in case, <laughs> me too, I'm very happy with that. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it's not just the likes of us saying it. If you want to look to someone who's perhaps a little more senior to us, you might look at someone like retired Lieutenant Commander Brian Gerrish, Brian Gerrish of the UK column. Yeah, yeah. He's desperate. No He's problem. chomping at the bit to talk about how women being introduced to the military has destabilized. And from a, a very decent rank, uh, Lieutenant Commander's not messing around, a very decent rank, a very respectable rank in the Royal Navy. And I'm desperate to get him to tell us. He keeps dropping hints on some of the UK column news programs about this problem and the reason the military is in such disarray. But hes I can see he's almost sort of censoring himself slightly. He's almost frightened to say something not frightened, but he doesn't want to mess it up. You can see that he's very careful with how he speaks. Like me and you, we shoot from the hip, we wear our hearts and our sleeves, but he's he's a considered man. He's a, a manager, a leader of men. But I'm desperate to get him to tell us. I really want his story because I know that he will have even greater insights than you and I because he was there. He was working on ships when this stuff happened. And I'm really eager to listen to somebody of his ilk about this topic, because I think it's really important that people don't just think it's us two who are a bit sexist, a bit too traditional, or, you know, I don't know, a bit Christian, or perhaps we're a bit, you know, racist, or whatever other excuse labels they want to give us because we just tell it how it is. I, I'm really, really looking to get somebody of Mr. Gerrish's ilk on the record on this because I'm, people need to hear it. Women especially need to hear that other side of the argument. We never get to hear it. And I'm deeply concerned about it. And the reason I'm so concerned about it is because the feminization of men actually starts with the boys and it starts at school. It starts predominantly when they go to nursery and then when they go to infant school. It starts at a very, very young age. They immediately make boys behave like girls. Girls are mm -hmm. quite suited to being in a classroom. Girls, yeah. you know, they communicate well. There's lots of character traits that, on average, women suit being in a classroom. Boys, on the other hand, it's a nightmare for most boys being stuck in a classroom, have to sit still, have to sit next to a girl they don't like. My point is that because in the classroom that everyone has to be treated the same, that is immediately harming the boys. It is immediately against the boys. And I'm a teacher. I love education. I love 
everything to do with learning and children, boys, girls, doesn't matter to me. But what does matter to me is we are educating children wrong from the very beginning. We're educating them as though they're genderless, as though they're freaking unicorns, and it is wrong and it is dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Boys should be treated as boys. They should be encouraged to behave like boys. They should be encouraged to fight. They should not encouraged to fight, but they, 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 they should understand, you know, Fighting's not a bad thing because you're a boy. You know, I was always taught as a kid, someone hits you, dad. Someone hits you, son. You hit him back. You know what I mean? That, uh, now that's bad. But actually, no, that, that, that's actually good advice for a boy. You know, a uh, boy, you know, I was always taught to play, you know, sport, run around, get dirty and, and, and you know, eat mud pies and all, the, all, all these sort of things that, that young kids do and boys do. Girls, you know, they should, I'm not saying they should be encouraged to play with Barbie and doll's houses and wear, you know, pink frilly dresses. However, you know, girls should be allowed to behave and to behave in that way because they are girls. And actually now, you know, we've gone to a, a, an extreme where we're at very young age saying, saying to children, what sex do you want to be? You want to be you're a boy, but are you sure you? I see you playing with that Barbie doll. Maybe you're a girl, and so we're really, really muddying the waters with regards to uh, young kids their understanding of gender, of sex, and and, and their own identities. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, we're trying to bring every these these young people all into the middle, so that we have, you know, potentially in the future sexless or genderless or, or identityless generation and you know the, what's the purpose of this why are they trying to make men more feminine and women more masculine and you know you can see that there's a trajectory here where they, it's all about control uh, it's all about crushing identity it's all about making people almost purposeless and having no meaning in life because they don't understand that they, you know, what their role is in society. And, you know, I'm a firm believer. Men have a role. Women have a role. I could be called sexist for this if you like, as much as you like. But I, I heart back to a time, and I'm not that old. I'm only 44. Uh, I heart back to a time when those roles were fairly sort of cemented within society. And I think the world was a better place. And we were producing young people then when we had strong family units with a male figure and a female figure. We were producing young people who were much more rounded and much more suited to dealing with the challenges of life. And right now, the young people who are coming, who, who, who are walking our streets, you know, the 20-year-olds, you know, they, 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 you've got boys wearing dresses and, 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 and women walking around with, you know, in military garb because they're in the Navy. And, you know, all of a sudden, these roles are incredibly uh, confused and have been diluted. And as a result, future generations are just going to be more confused, not be able to cope with the challenges of the world, particularly the men. And, you know, I think it spells doom for the West in particular. Uh, you keep going back to the military. And we were talking about the mobilization. I was talking about mobilization in the Second World War. I can guarantee we don't have these confusions in Russia. And that was shown because they managed to mobilize 300 men in literally a month. 
I guarantee 300,000 men. I guarantee if we wasn't being able to, we wouldn't be able to do that in the UK. If the UK say, hey, we're, we really are now going into a conflict with Russia, it's going to be boots on the ground, here's your gun, we need as many people as we can get, we'll give you a month's training, which is what they did in Russia. There's no way we, this country would be able to mobilize 300,000 additional men like the Russians have done in no time at all. And that's because in Russia, men are treated as men and women are treated as women, and there isn't this confusion, this woke ideology that's messing up who we are as, uh, as human beings. Before I uh, launch into a sob story about how I deeply regret my applications to the military, I won't actually do that because it's fairly obvious, but I do have a very important question. Did you actually eat a mud pie? I'm sure I ate mud pies and bugs and all sorts as children. And I thought... <laughs> And if I got hit, I would hit them back. And I'll tell you what, if somebody hit one of my sisters, I've got six six sisters, I have to count because it's complicated. <laughs> but I've got I've got about six sisters, and and one of them who I grew up with, who's like, you know, my real sister, I've got stepsisters and stuff. If somebody if she come home crying because somebody was bullying her, my dad would be like that, screaming up the stairs, Darren, get out there, sort it out. And I went out and kicked the crap out of many young boys as a young boy myself, not as a man. I don't go around beating up, you know, 10-year-old kids. But I've had many a scrap with, as a school as, as a school-aged uh, boy because my sister was being, you know, bullied or she, someone had hit her or stolen something of her, whatever, you know? And um, yeah. Well, I, you yeah, had me... Advice. You had me at mud pie. I realized in that moment that my, my tomboy experiment was officially over because I would definitely not do that. So there we go. That, there, right. there you have it. My, it's taken several decades, but my, my tomboy experiment is officially over because I would definitely <laughs> couldn't cut it as a guy. I definitely would not be doing a, a mud pie, that is for sure. Now, the reason they want to feminize the men rather than more so than make the women masculine, although that is part of the agenda too, is because women on average are much more agreeable and agreeableness is easier to control because agreeableness is more or less compliance. They're very, very closely related. Now, I'm a disagreeable woman, which is why I do unusual things. I'm an unusual character. I lead a pretty unconventional lifestyle. And I'm, I'm not necessarily especially proud of that. I'm putting it to good use. I'm putting it to best use. And I'm doing it very sincerely. But I do regret it. I, you know, There are many, many things I look back and think, well, I wish I'd known this then, or I wish I hadn't been lied to about this or that. I do, you know, I do deeply regret many of things like military applications. I've been in male environments when I really, really shouldn't have been, and I deeply regret it now. But I, on the other hand, it's formed my character in a particular way that has made me good for this. It's made me able to do something that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So I'm grateful for it. I don't, you know, I'm not bemoaning it. I'm very, very glad that I had these experiences. I had a wonderful time on the potential officers course at HMS Heron. It was amazing. But alarmingly, out of the six of us that were selected to go, two were women. And we shouldn't have been, looking back, we should, neither of us should have been there. It doesn't matter that I was the fifth. Uh, there was only one guy who beat me on the fitness assessment head to head. There was only two of us, me and one of the guy that passed the underwater helicopter escape training, which is really scary and really fun. Yeah, yeah, I've seen I had that. a wonderful time. I excelled and they were very, very eager to send me to the Admiralty interview board to try for a commission. But it wasn't right. Looking back, I, you know, I full of regret that I, and I'm so grateful that the Royal Naval Surgeon said, no, you've got a history of asthma. You're not flying our, our helicopters, bugger off. And I'm very grateful for that because that could have taken my life down a, a very different pathway. And I would have been steeped with regret had that actually come to fruition. So I got lucky there. But, you know, there's other people that didn't get so lucky and they're, I don't know. I'm, I really fear for them because we're not 
living in accordance with our true nature. And there's always something that's jarring about that. There's always something that feels uncomfortable about that, even if you can't quite put your finger on it. And I think we desperately need to get back to, you know, old ways. And in particular, masculinity has got to be celebrated and encouraged. And it's us women that have got to do it. We're the ones Mm -hmm. who are shouting men down. And it's funny that you should talk about going out and boxing somebody for bullying your sister. And quite right too, well done. That's what a proper brother would do, a real man. Good for you. Yeah, good for you. That's damn well what you should be doing. Not that I necessarily support violence, but I do in certain circumstances. It's absolutely necessary. It's necessary. Yeah. Men are violent. That's that's in our nature. We're, we're a violent race. Our hobby is blowing each other up. We'd be you know? dead if you weren't. The species yeah. would have died out if you were not aggressive and violent. There's no argument about that. It's that's just a it's a nonsense. But it, I'm worried for the men because I love the fact that you guys knock lumps out of each other because what it does is it teaches you. It teaches you how to be in the world. It teaches you a way to communicate and it teaches you to be mindful, thoughtful about do I want to make this the argument because you know if you shoot your mouth off Darren a big guy in the pub you know that if you go too far you'll be outside punching each other's lights out both of you are going to get hurt and one of you is going to win and one of you is going to lose one of you might die so you know to pick your battles carefully women on the other hand do never learn this lesson so women no. and I'm talking about myself here in some respects because I'm a god machine you know that but women do <laughs> not learn I learned this because I played a lot of sport so I actually did learn this lesson because I'm an unusual girl but Women shoot their mouths off. They think they can say whatever they like to whoever they like and get away with it because we don't have this culture as women of, you know, punching somebody's lights out if it goes too far. And that's a problem. That's why we need our men folk to make sure that the women folk are behaving themselves, quite frankly. And I'm very grateful for the way my husband handles me. The poor man, can you imagine, having to handle me? It's a good job he is how he is because if he wasn't a very strong masculine male, I would be in serious, serious jeopardy. And I'd be one of those awful women shooting their mouths off about men and at other men and at other women without, you know, proper due diligence and and forethought. Uh This is a very, very key difference between men and women. You sort it out with fists and therefore you have a better understanding of how to communicate when it comes down to it. And women, we get away with murder and it's not right. We've got to get ourselves in line, ladies, and we need to start listening to our husbands a bit more and paying a little bit more respect and attention. And I've probably just lost half of that. If I've lost all of the feminists that are listening to this, thank God, because you're not really welcome anyway. You're causing the problem. Stop it. Yeah, I mean, men when they fight, if 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 I have to, you know, it's not something that happens. I don't I don't drink, so I don't go in bars. But back in the day, if you had a problem with a man, you know, usually a woman involved somewhere, the men will go out. Men will go outside. They will have a fight. Usually, one loses quite quickly. Is on the floor. That's the end. There's no, there's no, and 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 probably get up, shake hands, and say, "All right, you're the better man because you beat me physically." And then it ends, and probably they'll be the best of friends for the rest of their lives. And that's how men are. With women, if they do get into a fight because a man, there isn't a man there to intervene, it gets really, really nasty. Women don't understand the, 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 the rules that men uh, have to go through when they have a physical engagement. Women don't. They need that man to intervene, otherwise it gets nasty. And not only that, women women who fight, they don't usually resolve their, their, their differences, do they? They, they, they? they bicker, they fight, and they hold a grudge forever against that horrible blonde bird. You know, look at the state of the Even uh, women who don't yeah. fight, and that's the majority of them, but the women who, even the women who don't fight, they hold grudges for decades. 
a campaign of hatred and evil towards this other woman because of something that happened sometime at school. Exactly. And I'm Men sorry, that is that. a superior, in my opinion, that is a superior way in many ways to communicate and to be in the world. And I think, you know, we're order and chaos. Men are predominantly yeah. order. Women are predominantly chaos. Yeah. We have a little bit uh, of each other's in us. I have a little bit of order, but I'm mostly chaos. You have a little bit yeah. of chaos, but you're mostly order. Yeah. And that is good. That is good. I'm, we work together. We're designed to work together. That's ex- it's precisely what we're supposed to do. You're good at the stuff the I'm not good at. And I'm good at the stuff you're not good at. And we're not talking about maths or, you know, we're talking on a much, much deeper level about all of the important things, right? All the things I'm, that really I'm, matter. And back in the day when women did have disagreements, they wouldn't fight or argue. They might hold grudges. The men would come in. They would fight on behalf of the women. Whoever won that fight, all right, you won. Shake hands. Men are best friends. And then, and then we go our separate ways. That's what used to happen. The men would defend the woman, yeah? All oh, right, God. Oh, bloody Sarah's getting into a fight again. I've got to go in. I've got to go fight her, that woman's boyfriend now just to resolve the argument. And that's what happened. Now, I would, I would on, just say on, here, I would just say here, I'm actually terribly well behaved. I thank my background in hard physical sports for this. I've actually played combat sports. Uh, I do take on, I'm a second Dan. I've got two black belts in Taekwondo. So I've done real combat contact sport. And I know that I can very easily be beaten. I know that a 15-year-old boy can cause me some real damage. A 15-year-old yeah, yeah. boy with yeah, much yeah, less yeah. experience can cause me serious yeah. damage. I've, yeah. I've played in women's football teams and we often, when you're an elite women's football team, you play against the under-15s of a boys' yeah, yeah. team Absolutely. for training, for extra training. That's the difference and I know it and I know it well. Like I've played men's cricket so... You know, when that ball's coming at you at 70-odd miles an hour and you're stood there trying to bat, that is scary. That is, and it hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It hurts yeah, even yeah. with the pads on. There's no messing yeah. about there. So I, I learned, you know, I'm very grateful that I had those experiences, that my coaches were tough on me. I'm really, really proud of some of the things that I went through. And it, but Because it, it taught me, it taught me the lessons that I particularly, especially because I'm mouthy, some might say articulate, but they're being kind. Because I'm mouthy, I needed to learn those lessons from a young age. And I'm very grateful um, to the coaches who trained me. I'll go with articulate, Sarah. I'll, I'll, I'll call you articulate. Why is I mean, you... Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't want to get in a fight with your husband. <laughs> Truth. Um, I, um, do you have many feminists listening to this show? I ha- I'm aiming for zero. If it's above yeah, zero, for zero, my, my right, goal is zero. So, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you... Do you know the origins of feminism? Like back from the Edward Bernays and, and Sigmund Freud era... <laughs> And so what happened, so this is in the, I think it was in the 20s, and what happened was, and this is true, so any of you, anyone who's listening now who's a feminist and believes they're a strong, independent woman, I've got to work 10 jobs, blah, 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 yeah, great, but the reason that you think that is because in the 20s, they employed a guy called Edwin Bernays and said, look, we've got half the world's population not paying taxes and consuming. So what we're going to do is we need to find a way of getting this half of the population who've got the most important job already, which is bringing up the family and, and looking after the home, a really important job. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that in any way, in a sexist way. It was a really 
the most important job because the men have to protect and die to protect that person doing the job, yeah, doing that particular role, yeah, of the woman. So uh, they they got a load of women to smoke on camera. I think it was at the Boston Marathon, and 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 Bernays, who was uh, a relative, I think he was the nephew or cousin of Sigmund Freud. Uh, they said this this is showing the woman putting a phallic symbol in her mouth on camera. It's an actual act of rebellion, and that that. From that moment on, the women sort of gained their independence from the men. They got their voting rights. They got brought into the workplace. They had the Second World War, so obviously, and the First World War. But the Second World War, there was a lot more women who were employed to, to help with the war effort, work in factories, make weapons and stuff. And then from that, and then they st- after the Second World War, when we got the new sort of American century after that. They pushed all the white goods, yeah? They really pushed white goods, consumer items. All the advertising was targeted at women. They wanted women in the workplace. They wanted them consuming all this crap that they didn't need for their kitchen. Uh, And that is, is how the feminist movement began. And, um, and it's never stopped. Yeah, and I'm not saying that women shouldn't work, etc. But what have women got right now? They go to work. They still don't probably earn as much as a man, but they might. And, and whatever, you know, women should have equal pay to men. Of course, they should. But they go, they work. Then they come home. Then they do that other job of looking after the children and looking after the home. So now women have went from having it really great to now doing two or three or four jobs. As part of this uh, independence, female independence movement, yeah, and and actually at the same time takes away from the male role to help the woman's now no longer at home, so the family unit has been destroyed. Um, it's done nothing for the economy. A job that one man could provide a home and everything that the woman needed, and uh, go on holidays and have all the nice stuff back in the sixties. Now we need to have two people working and they might be doing two or three jobs just to provide the same. So that was the origins of the feminist movement. It was a load of women smoking in a street outside and getting on camera at the Boston Marathon. And it was invented by a bloke. It was invented by a man. (laughs) Funny that. It was the man who wanted the tax dollars that pushed it. Not the good guys, right? It was all about how can we increase the amount of tax money and how much stuff crap that we don't need can we sell if we bring women into the workplace and make them consumers this is where this mentality is where we get the compulsory school age of five years old from in the united kingdom in the uk children are sent to school at the age of five why is it because it's good for the children is it good for educational outcomes absolutely not all the data shows the opposite actually their own studies show that it's actually detrimental to send your child to school before the age is somewhere around seven eight years old six seven eight depending on which studies you read, five is too young. The reason they did it was in the, eight, I think it was 1870s, in the late 1800s, they wanted the women to get to work. So they decided to change the school age to five. And that's where it comes from. That's why we send our children to school earlier than most other sensible European countries. It's nothing to do with educational outcomes. It's nothing to do with the welfare mm-hmm. and the development of the child. It's all about having those women in the workplace working their backsides off to make money for the bad guys. And what an absolute tragedy, because... Women have the most amazing responsibility and the most amazing role ever. Uh They get to guide and nurture and teach and train the next generation. The next generation of men and women 
what are you doing, ladies? Like, wake up. Like, this is the most amazing opportunity in life, is it not? You get a direct influence on the men and women of the future. You get to mold them in your image. You get to bring them up in the way that you believe. We have been sold a massive one, haven't we? Yeah, uh, I think the the women have been absolutely conned. Uh, And... But you say that, even me saying it to you, Sarah, and we're just having a frank discussion, but me saying it to you, uh, I'm not going to say it makes me feel uncomfortable, but I know from previous experience when I tell them about the Edwin Edwin Benet's advertising story, I normally don't get spoken to again. I get blocked. I get whatever because I'm a sexist. And I'm just saying, this is true. You know, this is what they want. You're just a consumer to them. You're, You're just an economic pawn. Uh, a tax slave. You had it really good, and now your children are, you know, the delinquents or whatever because you weren't at home bringing them up. You know, and and you know, it's a massive failure of the West. I think it's being taken advantage of now by the East in terms of you know what, what's unfolding in a military conflict. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure using the military again as an example, Russia aren't afraid of America. Because they know that they've got a load of soya boys coming to fight them if if it really gets to that stage against their hardened Russian Russian men who are swinging vodka who want to kill you. Do you, <laughs> because, mean, do you yeah. mean to tell me? Do you mean to tell me, Mister Denslow, that the Russians aren't afraid of the blue-haired mob? Outrageous! Uh, Outrageous! I know, I know, but don't tell the generals that because that will just be me. Uh, that will just be me uh, and uh, my toxic masculinity and white supremacy talking. That would be, you know, how dare you? How uninclusive of me? You know, uh, it's just it's insane when you really, really think about it and break it down. It's interesting to me because I come from a family. Uh, I don't want to say not a very intelligent family, but that's probably what it would be described as. There wasn't very much education in my mum's generation. She had six brothers and two sisters, and none of them did especially well. Maybe one of them did okay at school, went to grammar school. One of them went to university. Can't remember what he actually got a degree in, but it was probably something proper because it's quite a long time ago. They didn't have degrees for uh, you know knitting back in those days. So we still didn't, you know, my immediate family, my mother, my father, I think maybe my mum might have finished school, but I don't think my dad did. She didn't do very well, didn't get very good qualifications at all. My mum brought us up basically on her own. My father left when I was about nine and a half, something like that, nine, ten, somewhere before I was ten anyway. And it's very interesting how we've developed because we're from a very poor background. We're a council estate family. And so was my mum's generation and the generation before that. So I I think I'm third generation at least. Well, I know that I'm third generation council estate at least. And, you know, my prospects were not at all good. But because my mother stayed at home with us and she read to us, she, she, was, very, she was a nursery nurse. So she was very good at reading stories. She was good at getting us to read. She was getting us to play with building bricks and with dollies. And she knew how to let us play. We used to have a dressing up box. She was very, very good at that early years, so-called education. It's, it, a lot of it was play, but it was you learn through play, especially from a young age. And actually, there's me, my brother and my sister And of the three of us, all three of us got into university to do proper degrees. We were accepted on merit. Two of us finished and went on to do further degrees. And we are the only children from that council estate, to the best of my knowledge, to have even ever gone to university still to this day. And it's nothing to do with we were naturally gifted, we were naturally bright. It can't have been because we're not from good stock. We're not from, uh, you know, 
we're not the sons and daughters of doctors, lawyers. We're not. We're totally not. We're, we're nothing like that. I often get miscategorized because of how I speak or because of how I present myself or because of the things I've achieved. But it's not true. If you look at my background, you look at my immediate history, I have to credit, you know, my mother and I have our differences. We certainly do. But, you know, I have to credit her enormously for taking on that responsibility and being a stay-at-home mum and insisting on making sure we were doing well. She was looking at what we were doing in school and she was making sure that we were doing our homework and she was making sure that we were keeping up or, you know, doing a little bit better than the next person. And I have to say that it's down to her that the three of us have gone on to do exceptionally well from the backgrounds that we're from. And I, I just think that the secret's there. It's right there. It's in front of your face and we're being conned. If you want bright, intelligent, articulate children, stay at home, nurture them, love mm-hmm. them, be with yeah. them, read to them, yeah. take them out on, yeah. you know, make mud, let them make mud pies again. Yeah. You know, please. Yeah. To me, it just seems blindingly obvious what the answer is. And yet we're continuing to, you know, hand our children over to the state. They're yeah. in school for longer and longer every day, long terms. Somebody else, the state, it's not even somebody you know, the state is bringing up your children and I just, it's monster to me, it's monster. It keeps me awake at night. I, I'm yeah. literally working like a lunatic because it's wrong and we have to stop this and we have to stop yeah. it now. Uh, I mean, fortunately, more and more people are looking to take their children uh, out of the education system. I actually met a, a couple the other day from Iran who wanted, uh, who were looking for somebody to, to tutor their, their grandson. I mean, you're talking about the council states. If there's one place where there is still an element of family, togetherness, community, male roles and female roles, yeah, they get, it may be a good reason why uh, the media often pours scorn on these people or sort of highlight, oh, look at these benefit scroungers, look at these people, look at the gangsters, the gangs of these council estates. But it actually, uh, they are still have their, in those environments or settings, they still is um, the male-female role. And the mum is often, because she's unemployable, often still at home with her children. Uh, you still sit, if I go to those types of places, cancer states, where kids still play together in the streets. You know, uh, you don't, we don't, uh, when I grew up, we was all out playing Kirby. You know, after we've had our, our course of mud pies, we'd be playing Kirby or having bike races or whatever in the street. And yet now we don't see that at all because the kids are on the phone sat in in the front room or they've been dragged away by the state and put into one of the, one of the institutions that we, that we call schools now. Um, So, you know, that the whole togetherness, it's not just family, it's community that's been lost, you know, and as we've all been sort of dragged apart and we've all become so, you know, disparate, um, you know, the, the male, female roles, are being lost through that that avenue as well. So, uh, yeah, it's it's worrying for the future, Sarah. You know, but there is another side to it, and and the pendulum can swing back the other way. And there are more and more younger women, I believe, who are actually choosing to stay at home uh, rather than go to work. Um, and so we might have a generation coming along down the line who are going to push back against some of these nonsensical narratives that actually under just the slightest bit of scratching um, fall apart very, very quickly. They're unscientific, yeah? Unscientific. And we live in an era where we must follow the science. (laughs) As soon as you hear that, don't follow it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't follow it. The science is not science, right? 
Yeah, yeah, the science is not science. The science is a brand name. <laughs> take yeah, that, that's all it is. Take that from yeah. a chemistry teacher and a fine one too. <laughs> Darren, thank you so, so much for joining me. I have absolutely loved this this morning. My husband tells me, this is not working. You're you're just you're just talking. You're just you're just messing around, having fun. It's like, yeah, I totally am. And there's nothing you can do about it. I have to do a podcast. So there you go. I lie. He loves it, really. He lis- He actually listens to all of them. And so, yeah, there you go. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. No I cannot wait to hear you next week on the radio. You can find Darren of Plymouth between 11 a.m. and 12 o'clock noon UK time, weekdays at tntradio.live. I certainly will be listening in all next week and my husband's a TNT radio fan so he listens to it all of the time Darren very best wishes and thank you once again for giving up your time this morning no worries and you'll be a guest in a week or so yourself uh, Sarah so uh, yeah, I look forward to having you on TNT uh, very we kind. can carry on we, we can carry on being bigots together oh, very kind of you I, I, when will we two bigots meet again that doesn't scan too good but we can work on that best wishes Darren <laughs> yeah, yeah. thank you very much <laughs> cheers bye bye Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination. 